We're in the second week of our series called Leadership Rising. I want to say a little word about the series. Um, I said a little bit of this last week. I may say it every week. This is not just for people in that role of top dog leadership. This is for everybody. Remember, raise your hand. Everybody raise your hand. One hand up. These are the leaders in the church here. Okay, we all have some kind of influence somewhere to lead somebody. So this is for everybody. Don't think that we're trying to promote nothing but chiefs and no Indians. Okay, no, no followers. Let me tell you something about followers. The best followers are the best leaders. The best leaders are the best followers. Okay, sometimes you move in and out of those positions But we all have leadership ability. Before we get going, I want you to watch a clip from the movie uh, McFarlane USA. Just watch this. This is one of those styles of leadership. Let's watch it. All right, everybody, gather around. Come on. I want you to look around. Best in the state, right? Every team that's here deserves to be, including you. But they haven't got what you got, all right? They don't get up at dawn like you and go to work in the fields, right? They don't go to school all day and then go back to those same fields. That's what you do. And then you come out with me and you run eight miles, 10 miles, and you take on, you take on even more pain. These kids don't do what you do. They can't even imagine it. When I went out in the field that day with you, Diaz kids, I'll be honest with you, it was a the worst day's work I ever had to do in my life. And I said to myself, whatever kind of crappy job I end up in, it'll never be as tough as that. You kids do it every day. And your parents hope they can do it every day. And they'll do it for a lifetime if it means a better life for you. You guys are superhuman. What you endure just to be here, to get a shot at this, the kind of privilege that someone like me takes for granted. There's nothing you can't do with that kind of strength, with that kind of heart. Kids have the biggest hearts I've ever seen. Go run your race. That's some good leadership there. Let me tell you about another example, Henry Ford. Henry Ford was having lunch with a man one day, and he asked the man, who's your best friend? The man started listing this person and that person and that person, and Ford stopped him and said, no, I tell you who your best friend is. Your best friend is he who brings out the best in you. Isn't that a great gift to have? to be able to bring out the best in others. Wouldn't you want to be a best friend like that or have a best friend like that? Wouldn't it be great to have a boss like that or to be a parent like that? When John Elway gave his induction speech into the NFL Hall of Fame, he said this about his father. He's the only reason I'm in the Hall of Fame. Now, we know Elway had some talent, and that got him there too, but imagine a son saying this about his father or his mother. The only reason I'm here 
is the influence of my parents. Well, you know, there are many sons and daughters in prison who could really say the same thing. My life today is a result of my parents' influence. Remember last week we said that everything about leadership boils down to influence. Good or bad, leadership is about influencing others toward a certain path in life. We see in Scripture that the good leaders know how to bring the best out of others. And that's the kind of leaders we need to strive to be. There's a great story about George and Barbara Bush. They were on the campaign trail once in the presidential limousine and needed gas. So they pulled over at a gas station. Well, it just so happened that the attendant there was an old sweetheart of Barbara's, high school sweetheart. They exchanged greetings and well wishes, and after the limo was back on the highway, George remarked, just think, if you had married him, you'd be married, you'd be uh, the wife of a gas station attendant. Barbara said, George, you're confused. If I had married him, he'd be the president of the United States. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. She's great. She's great. That's what a leader can do. They can bring out the best in others. And guess what? It's not easy. It's really difficult. It can be painful, frustrating. I mean, it can try your patience. But leaders are committed to helping people become all that they can be. Paul said it this way. My dear children, for whom I am again in pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. He's saying that he already went through these birth pains before bringing them to Christ, but that's not the end of the road. Now he wants to see them grow up and become mature and reach their potential as followers of Jesus Christ. Do you know that's our goal here at Cornerstone? To make disciples, to get people to grow in their faith. And the way we see that happening is by all of us becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. That's the idea of this series, this message series called Leadership Rising. It's about all of us, especially the leaders in those leadership roles, all of us stepping up and making things happen, not just the benefit for the benefit of the leader, but for the benefit of everyone around them. When a leader leads, he or she has an elevating effect on how other team members perform, an elevating effect on how people's attitudes are, even on the situation itself. Today's message is called, The Leader is a Builder. But the leaders don't just build things. They build people. Leaders build people. They bring out the best that they have inside of them. So today we're going to talk about three things that a leader can do to bring out the best in others, to build people up. First one, the leader needs to be an encourager. An encourager, kind of like what we did to the band. We encouraged them. I bet that made them feel good, right? It's a little warm fuzzy there. (laughs) 
Truett Cathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A, once said, how do you identify someone who needs encouragement? Answer, they're breathing. You can be sure that every person you encounter today could use a good word. You may not be able to solve their problems, but you can give them a little extra fuel for their journey. Some people confuse being uh, bringing out the best in people with bringing out the worst in people. You know, there's a difference. Your children, your spouse, your friends, your employees, your coworkers, they don't need to hear you're disorganized, you're lazy, you're a bad listener, and so on. They've probably already heard that, probably been told that before. What they need from you is a reason to believe they can improve. I know probably, I don't know, maybe a dozen, probably more than a dozen people who justify their critical nature with this excuse. My spiritual gift is prophecy. I'm a prophet. I call them the way I see them. That's not prophecy. Not exactly how the Bible describes it. Prophecy isn't just about predicting bad things that will happen. That may be knowledge, but that's not prophecy. That's not God speaking out. It's not about pointing out everything wrong with the world. Here's what prophecy is, defined by the Apostle Paul. The one who prophesies, that is who interprets the the divine will, the godly will and purpose, inspired preaching and teaching, that person speaks to men for their upbuilding and constructive spiritual progress and encouragement and consolation. He who prophesies edifies and improves the church and promotes growth. Yeah, that's what I want around me. Leaders, all of you that raised your hand, here's what I'm challenging you to do. Become prophets. Become prophets. Now, I know we're not all endowed with the spiritual gift of prophecy. I'm not talking about that. Just be a prophet a little bit. Start prophesying every chance you get. Prophesy to your children. Prophesy to your spouse, to your employees, to your employer. Prophesy to your friends. That means you say things that will strengthen them, that will encourage them and comfort them. That does not mean you call them the way you see them. You call them the way God sees them. And God always sees the potential in us not our limitations. He wants to push us forward. Oral Hershiser pitched for the Dodgers. His coach was Tommy Lasorda. Now, if you take a surface look at Oral Hershiser, especially in the early days, and especially next to those other buff pro sports guys, you know, bulging with muscles, he kind of looked a little on the wimpy side. (laughs) And you know what? He felt the same way about himself. He struggled with low self-esteem. And that's why everyone was really surprised to hear Coach Lasorda from the dugout yell out to the pitcher's mound, Come on, bulldog! You can do it, bulldog! Sick him, bulldog! You see, that name didn't exactly match the physique. But just look at the record books to see what Tommy Lasorda's 
prophetic encouragement did for Earl, Earl Hershiser. He was one of Major League's greatest. One of the greatest. That's why Jesus gave Simon a new name. Peter, it means the rock. And he gave him that name long before he deserved it. If Jesus called them the way he saw them, then he would have said, Simon, you're a mess. You're a complainer. You're a bragger. You're a waffler. You're a quitter. But pointing out a person's weakness is not what prophecy is all about. Prophecy is speaking to the potential. That's why Jesus said, you are Peter, a rock. And upon this rock, I'll build my church. In other words, he was saying, sick him, bulldog. John Maxwell puts a little twist on the words firefighter and firelighter. Now, this is not a put down on firefighters. We all know firefighters are great. But he's twisting the words around to make a point. He says, firelighters go out of their way to help you stoke the flame within you. Firefighters go out of their way to throw cold water on you. Every person on this planet already has enough of those firefighters pouring cold water on us. What they really need is someone savvy enough to be a fire lighter. That's what encouragers can do. People need more of that than they need criticism. They already have a good idea of what they cannot do. They need to know what they can do by the grace of God. They need to be encouraged, empowered to keep trying. So that's encouragement. The second thing, a leader needs to be an exhorter. Now, encouragement and exhorter, that's pretty close, but let me talk about the differences here. An encourager knows how to pick someone up when they fall down. Help them find the courage to try again. That's an encourager. They know how to pat somebody on the back and say, good job, good effort. An encourager knows how to say, you can do it. You can do it. But an exhorter takes it a step further. An exhorter says, you know what? You can do it better. You can do it with more excellence. Where most of the Bible translations use the word exhort, we might use the word challenge or urge. Here's an example to the church in, in Thessalonica. It says, finally, our friends, you learned from us how you should live in order to please God. This is, of course, the way you have been living. Encouragement right there. And now we beg and urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to do even more. I want to read you a partial list of spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are, are abilities, special abilities given by the Holy Spirit to a believer. God just puts those things in you. Maybe he's been developing you for your entire life, but these are your gifts. They're actually the Holy Spirit's gifts that he gives to you. And the use of them is for building up the body, building up the church. It's not just for the person that has the gift. It's for the church. And when I read this list, this is not all of them. There's probably 20 or more. Notice the exhortations regarding each person with these gifts. It says, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So, if God has given you the ability to prophesy, it's one of those gifts, 
speak out with as much faith as God has given you. It doesn't just say, if he's given you the gift of prophecy, way to go. No, he's saying, do it with all the faith God has given you. If your gift is serving others, it doesn't just say, I'm so proud of you. you go serve. It says, serve them well. If your gift is teaching, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, then be encouraging. You know, like what would the band have thought if we went, good job, band. Oh, yeah. No, get excited about it. Good job, band. That's, that's what he's exhorting the encourager to do. If it's giving, give generously. I know people who think they have the gift of giving because they tithe. No, that's obedience. We're all supposed to tithe. We're all supposed to give our our 10% to God's work. The people with the true gift of of giving, they give generously. They give way more than 10%. And here's what I'm leading up to. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. Seriously. And maybe it's just me, But I feel like there's an extra oomph there when it comes to this leadership gift. Here's a few different translations of that verse, that taking this responsibility seriously. Some say, lead diligently. Another one says, work hard at it. Another one says, we should do our best. An exhorter is the person who can say, not bad, not bad, but guess what? I think you can bump it up a notch or two. You want to hear the David White translation of that verse? Here it is. If your gift is leadership, then for God's sakes, lead. That's my translation. For God's sake, lead. For kingdom's sake, lead. For the church's sake, lead. For your own sake, lead. If that's your gift. If that's the place you're in now, if you're not a top dog in the church, if you're just a nobody, you think, and you're in a place where you're telling somebody something they need to hear, lead them. Lead me. We're all leaders. We all influence each other. Whew. That's the closest I've come to being a fire and brimstone preacher. (laughs) An exhorter knows how to take a failing student and bring them into passing grades. They know how to bring a C student into Bs, a B student even better. Now, it's important to note that this word is never translated as nag or insult or ridicule. That's not how to build people up and bring the best out in them. An exhorter doesn't just tell people to do better, An exhorter teaches people how to do better. I've worked with baseball coaches who have a special gift of being able to humiliate 10-year-olds in front of their parents and siblings and friends during a baseball game on the field. Amazing. You know, the right fielder's out there. Easy pop fly. Oop, he drops it. A run scores. The coach yells from the dugout, Catch the ball! That run that scored, that's on you! Humiliation. Catch the ball? What do you think he was trying to do? How is that going to help?
Paul said to young Timothy, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. The exhortation part here is telling people how to apply the Scriptures and what they teach. An exhorter will say, see this mistake you're making? See how you keep falling down in this area? See how you keep missing the fly balls? Here's something you can do that will help you become better. Back to those baseball coaches. The approach most of the time in Little League is to look for the kids with the best talent, try to recruit them, play them the most, play the other kids the least, and hope for the best. But I can remember coaches working with me. Really, they worked with a whole team, but I remember them working with me on the fundamentals. I specifically remember a coach hitting me a dozen or so ground balls right in a row. Not, it's your turn, here's one, the next guy, you know, after 12 guys, 14 guys, then I go up again for my one. No, a dozen of them. And he'd do that in multiple practices. And he was doing it till, till I finally learned how to ground a field ball, uh, uh, field a ground ball without turning my head at the last second because I was afraid of the ball. Now, I was already okay, but this coach knew how to challenge me to be better. There's a difference between a leader and a guy who's in charge. The guy who's in charge will say, go out and make sales. The leader will say, let's look at how we can improve your sales presentation. The guy in charge will say, I want to win. The leader will say, I want to teach you to be a winner. That's what it means to be an exhorter. You challenge people to do their best, not in vague, meaningless terms, catch the ball, <laughs> but with specific, step-by-step instructions. So you've got your encourager. That's what a leader needs to be. A leader needs to be an exhorter. And third, a leader needs to be an example. Don Shula, the winningest coach in the NFL, once said, I don't know any other way to lead but by example. It's the same principle of leadership taught in the Bible. We see it in the Apostle Paul where he said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Who wouldn't want to follow somebody that's following Christ's example? I've discovered to my delight and to my dismay that my primary source of influence with my children is not my preaching... It's not my rules, it's not my professed values, it's my example. In these, in the areas where I'm most careful to be consistent, they too have learned consistency. In the areas where I've been undisciplined, they too struggle in those areas. Maybe we need some input here from Albert Schweitzer. He said, example is not the main thing in influencing others, it's the only thing. Many leaders want to be do-as-I-say leaders rather than do-as-I-do leaders because it's obvious do-as-I-say is a lot easier. But it just doesn't work in the long run. The University of Buffalo School of Management did a study, came up with a pretty obvious conclusion. The study determined that bosses who lead by example, admit their mistakes, and recognize their followers' strengths are most likely to experience company growth. Did you really need a study 
for that. Isn't that kind of logical? A lot of these university studies are like that. Leaders must be willing to hold themselves to at least the same standard they expect from everyone else. If your co-workers or your kids see you cutting corners, they're probably going to do the same. That's because we live in an age now where people are no longer content merely to, to be told what to do and behave that way. They want to see it firsthand. Bob Dylan sang a song that said, you talk about light of brotherly love. You, you talk about a life of brotherly love. Show me someone who knows how to live it. He's right. You bring out the best in others when you pay the price of expecting the best from yourself too. Now, this doesn't mean you have to be great at what you're teaching. For example, Jimmy Connors was a great tennis player, phenomenal, world-class player. He always talked about his great coach. Now, I guarantee you that Jimmy Connor could blow the socks off his coach in a tennis match. So you don't have to be the great tennis player to teach tennis. Same way I, I was at a seminar for baseball co- Little League baseball coaches. And uh, there was a, a young guy in there. He play, played a little bit of pro ball. And so he was the pro. And he was telling us how to hit a ball off a tee. And he had each one of us coaches come up and do it. He says, if you guys can't do it, you can't expect to teach your players to do it. And, and the quiet little mouse that I usually am, I said, I don't agree with that. I said, I know pro baseball batting coaches that are in their 60s, and the guys there teaching how to bat could hit a home run with nothing. These guys couldn't even get it out of the outfield. Okay, you don't have to be that great to teach something. When we're talking about being an example, it doesn't mean a carbon copy. It doesn't mean you're trying to make clones of yourself. It may just be your tenacity. It may be your, your ability to, to get into that person's head and help them out. So that's what we mean. That's what Paul meant, I'm sure, when he said, follow my example. His example was being committed to Jesus Christ. I'm sure he was a tent maker. I'm sure he wasn't trying to get everybody to be a tent maker. He was trying to get them to be serious about whatever it was he was teaching them. So that's what we do. As leaders, we need to build people up. And we do that by encouraging them. You encourage somebody by saying, you can do it. I know you can do it. We need to build people up by being exhorters. And that's when we say, you know what? You can do it even better. I can see it in you. And we need to be examples. That's when we say, hey, look, if I can do it, if I can work hard at this, you can work hard at that. Good leadership is about building people, inspiring and empowering them to be the very best they can be. Leaders, bosses, coaches, teachers, parents, also employees, team members, those who follow other leaders, I exhort you today to become builders. Encourage others. Exhort them and be a great example to them. Make it your determination to bring out the best in those that you influence. 
People are looking at you. Go ahead, influence them. Let's allow a culture of leadership to rise out of Cornerstone. What do you say? Let's do it. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for blessing us, for teaching us, for protecting us. Thank you for saving us. And Jesus, thank you for being our example. Thank you for encouraging us and telling us that our sins are forgiven if we just look to you and trust you. We get to go to heaven. That's encouraging. Thank you for exhorting us. Thank you for telling us every day when we get out of bed, we can do it today and we can do it better than we did yesterday. And again, thank you for being that example, Jesus. We love you and we ask you to raise up the flames. Light us up, God, to be great leaders, to be great influencers in our sphere of influence. And we pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.